John 1, 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the baptizer, not John the author of the Gospel of John. There was a man whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not recognize him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but born of God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning Him and exclaimed, This was the one of whom I said, The one coming after me ranks ahead of me, because He existed before me. Indeed, We have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's right, uh, at the Father's side. He has revealed him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask God to. Explain this to us. Father, we're so thankful for your word, all the ways in which your word has come into our midst, and first and foremost, the way that it's come into our midst through your son, Jesus Christ. You've made clear this much to us in John chapter 1, and we pray that you would continue to reveal yourself the study of this text, help us to understand what you mean by it, and as always we pray that anything that is not from you, any understanding that I try to articulate that is not in accord, in alignment with the light, would go in one ear and out the other. But those things that are from you, that they might stir in us, that our affection for you and your son Jesus might grow and that we might become your children in the world more deeply and truly than we did before studying this text. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Did my microphone go out? Am I still good? Okay, we're still good. My microphone changed, and that's probably for the better, so glad you can hear me. So where do we begin? This is what I'm going to do Today, Let me just sketch an outline, because as we said last week, 
These are high, holy truths that take us before time began and teach us about where time is going. And so, these are things that must be revealed to us. These are not things that we could just figure out on our own. And so, uh, I'll give you a little outline as we try to unpack what is going on in John's prologue. Perhaps uh, 18 verses, perhaps the most important ever written in the history of mankind. Big statement, but not too big. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to try to ask uh, a question of what is this light and what does it do? What does light do? Last week we talked about that the word was life. Last week was about the creative word coming into the world and creating all things. And today we'll talk about the, the revealing light, the word as revealer. That's what we'll focus on today. And then we'll be back in the same 18 verses next week talking about the personal nature of this word that was with God in the beginning and was God in the beginning. So what is the light? Uh, I'll try to explain three dimensions of what that light is and what it does and why John uses this term to explain who Jesus was. And then I'll tackle two objections to this idea of Jesus as the light. Okay, Two objections that I think are fair to push back and say, well, not so fast. Um, Then what I'm going to do is... uh, give you an analogy. Um, in, in some respect, uh, all words are analogies. They're all metaphors for something that they refer to that is greater than the words themselves. So I'm going to give you another analogy or picture to help explain what I think the light is and what it does and why Jesus is the light. Um, and then we're going to ask the question, what then shall we do with this light? Okay? So that's where we're going to go, and um, hopefully I'll be able to walk you along as we do this dance. Now, you do not need this sermon if any of the following statements are true about you. One, You perfectly know God already. Two, you perfectly know yourself already. Three, you perfectly know where you're going and the steps you'll take to get there. And four, you perfectly know the Word of God. My guess is no one can answer one of those in the affirmative. Maybe you think you know yourself. Maybe you think you know where you're going. At some point in your life, you'll realize you don't. Um, So if you don't know God perfectly, know yourself perfectly, know exactly where you're going and how to get there, then you might need to know about this light that John talks about. So tune in. Pay close attention to what he has to say to us. Now, 
In the beginning, John says, verse 1, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and we talked, focused on that last week, so I can't go back and redo that if you weren't here, you have to go listen to it. These ideas are all interlocked though, okay? So even though we're breaking them out, the reason we read the whole text is they're all playing off of each other. And so the life, it says, was the light of men, right there in verse 4. That life was the light of men, okay? That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. And so as we read on, what did we see? We saw that the light actually was a person, the person of Jesus Christ, who lived on the earth 2,000 years ago, walked in the Near East, and born in, Naz- or, uh, born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, spent much of his ministry in uh, the northern part of Israel, in Galilee. Like, the light became flesh. Talk about that next week. What does that mean? Well, it means that the light was not an abstract idea. The light was personal. The light was a person. And it shined in the darkness. The darkness did not overcome it. Okay. So the light is a who, not just an impersonal thing. The light is Jesus Christ. Who is the light? It's Jesus Christ. And look down in verse 18 with me. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is Himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed Him. So there's something about the light that the light's primary uh, purpose, you might say, is to reveal God to the world. So the light has this revelatory nature. Now, it's important to say, as we start to look at what is this light? It's important to say that uh, when the Word came in the person of Jesus as light, pure light, true light, John tells us, it was not the first time that light came into the world. You can go back and study the Old Testament and the same ideas about light are seen over and over again, starting in Genesis 1, chapter 3. In Genesis 1, chapter 3, it says in the beginning God created all things, and we said last week that John's clearly wanting us to think back to Genesis 1-1 when he says in the beginning was the Word. So he's now overlaying Jesus, the Word, on top of Genesis and saying this is an even fuller picture of the Genesis story, that the Son, the second person of the Trinity, was there at creation and all things were created through Him, and that when God the Father spoke, Light came into the world. And so, light was in the world. And what did we see that light doing? If we went and we read in Genesis, we'd see that as soon as light came in the world, all life began to sprout up. We have the six days of creation as God created all things, but it begins by light coming into the world. So, in a sense, there's a light in the world in creation. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul will say that all people can see the invisible attributes of God by looking at creation. We can know God 
God is revealed to us by that which is created. We see the order and the beauty and the purposefulness of God in what's created. So in a sense, there's light, but not pure light, not light in the flesh. That's unique to Jesus. And then what we could say, and and Scripture will tell us, is that there's light in these words of Scripture. So as God, through His Spirit, has inspired the prophets to write the Old Testament, that's the Hebrew Scriptures, through the people of Israel, He's written particular things through the prophets that give us light, that reveal who He is, including the words of Genesis. That is light. But it's not the same as this light that took on flesh. And this is, this is often ch- challenging for us to understand. But there is light in the world, and God's brought it through creation and through Scripture, but then light put on flesh. And it was a light that walked and talked and was in our midst. And John says, I witnessed that light. And it revealed things about God that could not have been revealed just through nature or just through Scripture. And I saw it. And I must tell you about it. And that's why he writes his biography of Jesus. His biography of the light walking among us. Okay? So, the light always reveals... Things, And I want to talk about the three ways that light reveals things. And I want you to see the parallel to Genesis again. Because John is saying from the beginning, this light existed and then this light came into the world in the person of Jesus. So I want you to see how he's playing off of John chapter 1. Okay? So the first way that the light reveals is that the light reveals as testimony. The light proclaims, okay? So the light itself is saying something, giving testimony to who God is. Uh, Psalm 19 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. That's the creation part. That the heavens, the, the, the stars, declare the glory of God. There's an expression of light Physical light in the physical universe declaring the glory of God. As I said, Romans talks about the invisible qualities being made visible through the declaration of revelation in creation. Now, when Jesus reveals God as the light, he now brings light, the light of God, as a testimony to the truth and a rejection of any lie about what God is like. He, he gives testimony to the personal nature of God. See, creation can testify to the power of God, even the order of God, but in Jesus Christ, it's revealed as testimony that God is relational and personal. Let me just read to you John fourteen seven. You can turn there with me if you want. So these themes that are in the prologue will come up again and again through the rest of John's gospel. Okay, so 14.7 says this. 
If you know me, this is Jesus talking, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen me. So Jesus is saying, I'm a walking, talking testimony of who God is. You've actually seen God, he says, because you've seen me. Then turn back with me to John chapter 3. We see the same idea portrayed in relation to the light. John chapter 3, verse 31 says this. John 3, 31 says, The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what has been seen, or sorry, what he has seen and heard, and yet no one accepts his testimony. So Jesus again, speaking of himself, is claiming that he was sent from above, from God the Father, into the world to reveal, in earthly terms, what heaven is actually like, what God is actually like, what God speaks like and talks like. He is God, obviously, as he says in one, in the flesh. And so, This is the first aspect of what the light does. It reveals a testimony of heaven. If you remember back to our previous sermon series in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul talks similarly about who Jesus is. I think we have a a slide for that, Ryan. Throw it up. Paul says this in chapter 15. He says, the first man was from the earth. He's talking about Adam. Again, back to Genesis chapter 2. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Like the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have been born, have borne the image of the man of the dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. And so, Throughout John's gospel, what you're going to hear him say is that Jesus is the radiance of God the Father, just as light is the radiance of the sun, meaning the sun in the sky, okay? S-U-N. That is to say that the only, the only um, way to understand Jesus is that he is of the exact same essence and substance as the Father even though he is the radiance of the Father. Talked about that last week as he extends from heaven, heaven to earth. God the Father extended into the earth as the second person, the Son. So he's not just an imitation of the Son. He's not a reflection of the Son. He is actually the radiance of the Son. Do you see the distinction here? Because John's going to go in and talk about John the baptizer. And you're like, how did John the baptizer get in this amazing prologue about the word at the beginning? Because, as we've said, John is clearing up some misunderstandings. He's saying, yes, John, and we'll see it later in the gospel, John had, had a light about him, but he's more like a lamp. He's just reflecting the glory of Jesus the Son. 
He's not like Jesus. Jesus is something very different than John. John was a prophet. Jesus is way more than a prophet. Jesus isn't just reflecting or imitating God. He is the radiance of God. He's the same stuff traveled now to earth and living among us. Does that make sense? Very important. And John, as we've said, is trying to explain exactly what he believes. Because a lot of people mix this up about Jesus. They say Jesus was a great teacher. He was a great man. He said some things that were of God in the sense that perhaps he heard from God in a special way. And John is saying, that's not exactly what I believe. He is actually the radiance of God. He is the thing of God come to earth. He is true testimony of heaven because he is the man of heaven, not just a prophet of earth. Very important to understand this distinction, and John will again and again hit home. So he reveals the actual person of God. And this is why Jesus got himself in so much trouble, because people would hear him say these kinds of things about himself, that he's from above, that if you've seen me, you've seen God. And it didn't quite sound like the way the reflectors of God talked, the prophets. Like, he's talking kind of crazy. And so people like tried to kill him. And eventually they succeeded. Because they're like, did he really just say that he and God are the same? Did he say that? Surely he didn't say that. And Jesus will come back and he says, yes, I did. Yes, I am. I am the word at the beginning. One with God. Not just a reflection, but a radiance. The exact same The theological word is ontological equivalence. (laughs) He's God in the flesh. He's that kind of light. He's the real deal. So, he reveals a testimony. That's the first thing that the light does. The second thing that light does, according to John, is it reveals as judgment. It reveals as exposure. And so we see the same thing happening again back in Genesis chapter 1. If you remember how that begins, I'll just read it for you. I think we have it up on the screen as well. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. These are the very first sentence of the Bible. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. In the same way, we have this poetic picture of pre-creation. There's darkness, there's chaos, it's empty, it's void, it's disordered. And when God speaks and light comes, it judges or exposes the darkness and creates light, beauty, order. The chaos now turns into purpose. That's what light does. It judges darkness. It judges chaos. And, Paul will, or, and John will say, and when that light comes, even though the darkness tries, it cannot overcome the darkness. 
two ways to translate, depending on what translation. It's a tricky word in the Greek. To overcome the darkness, or the other is to comprehend. And I think to comprehend the darkness. In a sense, what it's saying is the light is so different than the darkness, it cannot comprehend it. But it also cannot overtake it. That's what John's saying about the light that comes from heaven. The testimony of heaven is so different than darkness, disorder, chaos, that it comes, exposes how different darkness is from light because light all, or darkness always masquerades as light. We think things are light. They seem to be light. But when true light comes, it's so different. It exposes the fake imitation. It exposes it. Both in a grand scale, John will say, the world itself is exposed. The world itself is judged, meaning it makes clear the verdict about darkness. And then it also, we'll see, works on a micro level. When the light comes into our life, it exposes us. Individually, the darkness that is in us becomes exposed. And so we have to react to the light when it comes. So let me show you, if you go to chapter 3, verse 19, John will talk about this. Here's what he says. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it, so that his deeds may not be exposed. So when the light comes, there's this tendency to run from it so that you are not exposed. But everyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. So, Inevitably, when the, when the true light comes, it creates a judging moment. We just can't ignore it. It's just different. And so something we either run from it or we come to it. In that sense, it's dividing. That's what judgment means, to, to divide, to rightly divide. That's what light does, true light. It's a different kind of light. A bit scary. Right, chapter four, right after this whole section on the light, and we'll get there eventually. The very first story that John tells is the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. And Jesus comes, the light comes into her world. She wasn't asking for it to come, she was just in shame going to the well at a time of day when no one else went because. She had the sin in her past, and the whole community knew about it. She'd had multiple husbands, and the man she was currently living with was not her husband, and the town sort of knew it, and this stranger from Galilee, this Jew, comes in, and what does he do? He loves her, but he also exposes this thing that no one else could have known, particularly a stranger could have known about her. And Jesus tells her about her sin. And the funniest thing about the story, he also says that he's the Messiah. She runs to the town exuberant with joy. 
she runs and tells everybody, not that she's met the Messiah, but that she's met a man who told her all her sins. How many of you do that? Guys, I've met somebody that tells me everything that's wrong with me. Why would she be so excited about that? Because she knew she'd run into true light. Because his light wasn't a harsh judgment. It was a loving judgment. And it exposed her and yet didn't reject her. That's the truth about Jesus. He's the judging light. He's the exposing light. But he's a light that doesn't force you to run. He draws you in because he died for that sin on the cross. So when, you, when, I, when I say he reveals as judgment, that the light does that, don't think that's a negative. The woman at the well knew that was the very best thing. It's what she needed. She needed to be exposed so that she could be healed. And Jesus is both the judging light and the healing light. Beautiful picture of what John's saying about the light coming into the world. But some will run. Some don't want to be exposed. Have you ever wondered why the name of Jesus is so polarizing? Strange. He was just a good teacher. He was just a prophet. If he's just a great spiritual man, why does his name so divide? Okay, third thing. Third way that the light reveals. The light reveals as guidance. Guidance. So in Genesis 1, when the light is spoken by God and comes into, when the word comes in as light, something happens. Things start moving forward. There's plan and direction and progress. See, the light doesn't just reveal things. It changes things. It moves things forward. And so the light reveals as guidance. This is unlike many other forms of light. And we'll talk about that in just a second. We use the word enlightenment often. And this is the thing that's so different and so strange about Jesus as the light. This light doesn't just bring truth, but it brings guidance. Jesus, John will say, is the one who walks, uh, John will say, the one who walks in the darkness doesn't know where he's going. That's John 12, 35. The one who walks in the darkness doesn't know where he's going. And so when the true light comes in, the true light reveals a testimony about who God is, reveals sin and error and evil and darkness, but also says, follow me. It doesn't just leave you where you are and say, I'm glad I've brought you enlightenment. Now figure it out on your own. He actually walks with you. So those that walk in darkness don't know where they're going. But those who walk with the light at least know the next step. I'm not saying walking with the light helps you predict your future 10, 20, 30 years down the road but it will tell you where to go with your next step. One step at a time, the light guides you. So this true light, if it's to be the true light, must not merely describe things or truth. It must not just identify error 
but it also must lead to life. And that's what John's going to do with the rest of his gospel. For the rest of our sermon series, we'll get to watch Jesus walk in the world, the light walk in the world as a human being, so that we know which way to go. Now, Jesus didn't have the internet. <laughs> Jesus didn't have democracy, didn't have a vote. So we take and watch his life as a model, as an example, but it will guide us on how to live our life. That's why the light became flesh, took on humanity, so that we wouldn't be left in the darkness and not know how to live as a human. Very beautiful. The rest of John's gospel will tell us what true life looks like as a human being. In that sense, it reveals guidance as the light. So those are the three ways in which light works in the world. The true light does all of these things. Testimony, judgment, and guidance. So at this point, you might be like, that sounds nice, Dave, but I got a couple objections. Or if you said this to a friend, they might say I have a couple of objections. And I think these objections are worth considering. The first objection goes something like this. All right, Dave, all right, Jesus follower, Christian, if this is such a peculiar light, if this is such a bright light, if this is the true light, and there's no other light, John will say, except for this light, why isn't it more obvious? In fact, why do you do this whole thing about John the baptizer, that he came to prepare a way for the light, he was not the light, but he came to testify about the light because the light was coming into the world. If this truly was a light like no other light, the light at the beginning, the light that created everything, the light that reveals everything, goodness and beauty and purity and all of its forms, walking in human flesh, why isn't it more obvious? Great objection. Been wrestling with it all week. Like, this is the thing I always ask myself, like, if he's the light and he wants to reveal God and he wants people to know he's the light, like why isn't every Christmas morning snowy? Right? Serious. Like if it was just like 2,000 years in a row, even in the desert, it's a snowy Christmas. <laughs> like, like we could all sing white Christmas and be like, yeah, we know it's coming. It always comes. Like that would be a really easy way to reveal that Jesus is the light. The true light, right? Have you guys ever felt this way? He's so utterly unique. Why is it so easy to ignore him? Why does he need John the baptizer? Milling around in the desert, eating honey, preparing a way for him. I mean, I would imagine if the true light came into the world, it would just blow people away. Okay. That's a great objection. I think there's four reasons why God doesn't do it this way. And I'm sure he has more. Let me say that again. And I'm sure he has more reasons. Because I'm not him. I don't understand why he saved a guy like me. A wretch, a sinner. Someone who continues to rebel against him even after knowing his saving grace. So there's a lot about God I don't understand. 
Here's four things I thought of, of why he doesn't, his light isn't so overwhelming that nobody can deny it. Number one, it's just not who he is. Revealing yourself is not only about proving that you exist. Let me say that again. Revealing yourself is not just proving that you exist. It must be true to who you are. Otherwise, it's not revealing. Or it's only revealing in in one tiny aspect that you exist. I was thinking about proposal stories because I'm officiating Jacob and Elisa's wedding. Thinking about proposal stories and how unique they are. And I never tell anybody my proposal story, how I proposed to Allie, and say, you must do it this way. Of course not. Because your story is not just about asking the question, will you marry me? It always gets there, hopefully. <laughs> I mean, like, hopefully you asked. I mean, did you, did you say the words? I mean, I'm about to stand before God and say that we've said yes. Okay. But it's more than that, right? Like, there's, yes, my love for you exists. But I'm going to show it to you in a way that reveals a bit of who I am and my personality. And so I, I think the first reason God is honestly, he's about more than just revealing to the world that he exists. He's about revealing who he is and what he's like. And he's tender. And he's detailed. And he's nuanced. And he woos the heart. And he puts layer and layer and layer and layer and layer and layer and layer on his creation so that the more we dig, the deeper we go, the better the microscope, the better the telescope, we can't get to the end of his creative genius. But it all shouts, I exist. And he doesn't need the megaphone we think he needs. He's revealed it the way he is. Number one. Number two. Why isn't it more obvious? Satan is real. There are enemies of God. As God reveals himself in the world, there are enemies of God who try to cover up his footsteps. So he makes a footstep in the stand through creation, through scripture, and there's somebody behind him with a brush going, trying to sweep it up. It's real. That's what happens in the garden. God's told us this happens in Genesis. He's revealing himself as the good God who is the provider, who gives them all the trees of the garden to eat the beautiful fruit. They're never hungry. He gives them everything that they need. And then here comes the liar who says, does God really love you? Does he really care? Is he that kind of God? Why would he keep anything from you? Why would he want you to go to him for the knowledge of good and evil? Why wouldn't he just want you to know on your own? uncovering God's goodness. So the enemy is real. That's why it's not more obvious. One day we'll see that clearly. Oh my gosh, that was clearly from God. And I chalked it up to something else. I believe the lie. Because Satan is real. The enemies of God are real. And sin in our own heart is real. And it blinds us to God's revealing act. Number three, we live in a season of faith, an era of faith, 
which for some reason that's sometimes hard for us to believe or understand why, is so important to God. He wants us to live by faith. He wants to have relationship with us by faith. He doesn't want it to be forced labor. He wants it to be faith labor. You see the difference? I answer my own question a little, but for some reason God really loves that. He's created us to be people of faith that connect to Him by faith in this season of faith before He reveals the light in its full glory when Jesus returns again. It's really important to God. And at this point I'm like, I kind of wish it wasn't. I wish it'd be more obvious, and that's okay to wish that, but it's just God's choice, and He wants us to walk by faith. He wants us to sing by faith. He wants us to share the gospel and the good news by faith. There's something there that we can't fully understand of why, but this is a season of faith. And then fourth, the full light is still to come. The thing that you wish he did now to make it so obvious that every head would turn and every knee would bow because that light was so undeniable and powerful and scary and glorious. The reason you long for it is because it's coming. John tells us that in his letter to the churches called Revelation. Jesus has told us that will come, so that longing is not totally off. It's not bad to long for that because that actually will happen. But God's also told us, hey, when that happens... When that kind of unfiltered light comes, that's going to come not as a drawing, tender, loving light. That's coming as an all-consuming fire. Because that light will cleanse the world of evil. And all those who continue to live in rebellion to God. And so we're in this season of faith where the light doesn't consume us, but draws us exposes us and gives us an opportunity to turn to the light rather than away so that when the all-consuming light comes, we can live in the presence of the light because we've been cleansed already by faith through the blood of Jesus. So it's a good objection. And I think John gets it. He's like, yeah, John the baptizer did have to prepare the way because when the light came in the person of Jesus, it came so that you might come to him. Objection number two goes like this. Okay, I get that Jesus is a light, but why, Dave, do you have to say he's the only light? There are lots of ways to enlightenment in the world. There's wisdom, philosophy, law, even the law of Moses was a kind of light. Other religions bring light. Science brings light. Education brings light. Even drugs bring a type of enlightenment. Sex, that seems like light. Why, the objection goes, do we have to be so narrow 
in saying that Jesus is the only light. I think it's a great objection. And it's an objection that's been there for every era of human history. In other eras, there are alternative sources of light. So the first thing I'd say to that is, I don't think we should ever deny that. You'd be a fool to say, if you're trying to be honest, that you've never experienced some type of light in some other way. Somebody says that to you, well, I've experienced great enlightenment through this religion or this philosophy or this self-help habit or technique. I think it's okay to say, true statement. There are forms of light that do bring some truth into the world, that do bring some structure into your life, that does even lead to new kinds of life. And it was no different than John's day. In John's day, like ours, one of the main leading sources of light um, was Stoic philosophy. And in Stoic philosophy, basically the teaching was that you have the light inside of you and through study and through conversation and through thinking and meditation, you can actually bring an inner illumination to a full, evolved sense, you could say, of human living. Like, the light is in you. That was Stoic philosophy. Does it sound familiar? This is all around us. But John's going to say to the Stoic philosophers and to those of other religions, that light when set side by side with the true light is darkness. So how could that be? If that's hard for you to understand, it may just be you haven't gotten close enough to the true light, John will say. John will say, I walked with him. I talked with him. John was there at his transfiguration when the fullness of his glory was revealed to just three of the disciples. John saw him risen from the dead, and he says, when you really compare them, all those things that seem like light, and they do bring life, and they make you feel, those actually, when compared to the light, will look like darkness. Wait, what? Perhaps an analogy is we, our TV broke, And we had to go buy a new TV, and you go, and if you would just see one of these TVs just by itself in the living room, you'd say, that's like the brightest TV I've ever seen. Only until like, they take you over like, at like Best Buy, shout out, to like the high-end TVs that you're like, whoa, that's real light. And you put them side by side, and you're like, that TV is very dark, I cannot buy that TV, and they get, that's how they get you. That's how they get you to spend an extra $300. They just keep putting another brightness next to them and be like, oh my, that's starting to look so dark. And if we saw Jesus as he is, as John saw him, if the close, and we can get close to him, we'd realize all these so-called lights in comparison to the true light are not light, as light is. 
And so John will be very specific. He'll call it darkness. But, but it brings me life, yeah, but not eternal life. So that's the kicker. This week's sermon and last week's sermon are connected. True light always leads to true life. So how do you tell if it's true life? The answer is honesty. Because every time you think about those other things that are like light in your life, if you're really honest, they always seem to fade. They never quite last. They're always fleeting. I always got to go back to them or give them more of myself or I got to... Not the true light. True light leads to true life. And this life is personal life, not impersonal. This light and this life are creative. They're not stagnant. Sometimes, I I was thinking about this, discipline. You can find discipline in a lot of other world religions or philosophies, or the Stoics were very disciplined people. You can find disciplines that bring life, but that life is not very creative. It's not very personal. It's a kind of life, but compared to the life that comes through the Spirit of God, through the life and following of Jesus, it brings a different kind of joy. It doesn't just help you avoid bad things. It brings something new that you can't even quite understand or explain. It's a peace that's unexplainable, the Bible says. That's what the true light brings, true life. So the way to judge, because they both kind of look like light or they both kind of lead to life, is to be honest. And to be honest means you have to experience life in the light of Jesus Christ to be able to tell. So these are good objections. But I think, John will say, and I will say, in the end, they reveal themselves to be untrue. And Jesus proves to be the truth. So let's put it all together now in my new analogy, okay? Turn to John 12.46. John 12.46 says this. I think we have it on the screen as well. John 12.46 says this. I have come as light into the world, Jesus says, so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. This is Jesus' summary of his mission. I've come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. Okay, so the question then is, okay, how does he remove us from darkness? To figure that out, we've got to go 10 verses earlier to John 12, 32 to 36. John 12, 32 to 36 says this. This is Jesus again talking. As for me, Jesus said, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate what kind of death he was about to die. Death on a Roman cross. Then the crowd replied to him, we have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So they're confused. 
I thought the Messiah would last forever. I thought he would bring eternal life, everlasting life. And you're saying you must be lifted up and you're going to die on a cross. How can you be the Messiah? Jesus answered, the light will be with you only a little longer. Walk while you have the light so that darkness doesn't overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become children of the light. Jesus said this, then went away and hid from them. <laughs> okay, and if you were there, you're like, where'd he go? Oh my gosh, what is happening? What? Wait, he just said the light's only going to be here long, longer than he hides? What is going on? The rest of John, the rest of the apostles, the rest of the New Testament will teach us what Jesus was talking about. That the Son of Man, the light who took on flesh, who became a true man, fully God and fully man, must be lifted up so that all who come to him and see him, who see the light, will find rest and safety and comfort underneath his glow. Jesus must be lifted high above. And that's exactly what happened. So I want you to picture, here's the analogy. I want you to picture an isolated solo street light in the darkest night you could think of, and it's it's light casting a space below it. This is what the cross is. And then I I want you to picture people seeing that light amidst the darkness and moving towards it, just as people move towards the life of Jesus and gather under the cross. That's what we're doing now. We've come to gather under the cross of Christ. We've seen the light, or the light has, for some reason, caught our attention. And when we come under the cross of Christ, when we come into that light, we're protected. We're protected from everything that lies right on the edge where that light meets the darkness. The wolves, you could say, which are just beyond. Jesus says, come to me. He says, I wish I could gather you all like a mother hand gathers. He's drawing us to this light. He's saying, stay close to me, and I'll give you care and protection. And he draws us in. We're all gathered there, and we're huddled there. And what's strange is that that's not the end of what Jesus tells us to do. Because once we've gathered there, he's going to do a strange thing, and he's going to send us out. And he's going to send his disciples out. He's going to go sit at the right hand of the Father. And you say, like, why would you do that? Why would the light leave? And the answer is the light hasn't left. They didn't understand about the third person of the Trinity, which is the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I'll send you the helper. The light will now actually live inside of you. And this is all predicting Isaiah 60 actually talks about this. I think we have that up on the screen, Isaiah 60. Isaiah says, arise. This is hundreds of years before Jesus came. The prophet Isaiah talking about the Messiah coming. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord shines over you. You picturing the street light? Shines over you. For look, darkness will cover the earth, and total darkness the peoples, but the Lord will shine over you. 
and His glory will appear over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to your shining brightness. Raise your eyes and look around. They all gather and come to you. Your sons will come from far away and your daughters on the hips of nannies. Then you will see and be radiant and your heart will tremble and rejoice. And this is the same picture that the New Testament paints about what the church of God is. When we come and gather each and every week under the street light that is Jesus, this rare, unique kind of light presses down on us. When we read our Bible this, and we read about Jesus, it's like this light comes and shines on our face when we sit and we pray and we talk to God in the power of the Spirit through the name of Jesus, we feel His light shining in our heart. And so in a way, the Stoics were right. It's not that we have the light in us, but we have something in us called the Imago Dei, and it's planted in every human being that when the light of that street lamp shines on you, you change. And the best illustration I can have is when you become a parent, especially a parent of boys, but maybe this happens with girls too. I don't have any. I don't know. But like a lot of these toys glow in the dark. A lot of these monster trucks my son has, a lot of these Hot Wheels cars, they glow in the dark. And then we'll buy the packaging and it'll say glow in the dark and so we'll turn off all the lights and nothing glows. And there's always some tears and there's a yelling at dad, you bought the wrong one and do you know how to read and I thought we were getting... And I'm always like, oh, what do I do? And then I figured it out one day. You got to hold the toy up to the light several minutes and it charges it up (laughs) then you turn off the light and it glows in the darkness and the bible i think is pretty clear we will become radiant when we spend time under the light of christ when we draw near to the cross when we let christ's light shine on us we become that light in the world we become as the bible says that city on a hill that can't be avoided or ignored, that brings hope in darkness. You will become that toy that glows and brings guidance and even judgment and even exposure, but especially truth about who God is. When you gather under that streetlight time and time again, and you can't just do it once, That toy eventually loses its glow. And then they yell at me again and they cry and I'm like, okay. And only dad's tall enough to put it next to the light. So (laughs) I charge it up. You got to charge yourself up over and over and over and over again because you're not the light. This is where it's different than the Stoics. Jesus is the light. So you got to come back to him again and again and again. And his mercy is new every morning. And his light is new every morning. And his grace is new every morning. And every morning you come to him and every night you come to him And on Sundays we come to Him, and in your cadres you come to Him, and at Alpha we'll come to Him, and we will be charged up because He's put something in us that glows, a weird chemical that's not the light, but responds to the light and becomes light to others who need it. That's the gospel and how it plays itself out in the world. So on your block, you can be the house that glows. In your cubicle jungle, you can be the cubicle that glows, the light of God, the true light. But you yourself are not the source. And so when people come to you and say how great you are, how wonderful you are, you always do what everybody should do. 
you should go check out the streetlight where I got all charged up. Jesus is not scary. He's tender. You can go to the light and it won't kill you. Not yet, at least. Go. Experience the light. So that's my challenge to you, friends. John says, the light has come. It is here. Talk about next week. It has tabernacled amongst us, meaning the tent is here. The light did not go anywhere. It's here. And the light will do one of two things. It will search you, attract you, draw you, and turn you into a glow stick. Or it will repel you and scare you and make you even better at hiding. What are you going to do with the light? Let's pray.